And when people are hurting, you need to pay attention to them. And that's the situation we find ourselves in today with, with Black people in America. Welcome to Race in the Workplace, a limited series brought to you by the Voices of Energy podcast. This series highlights the best conversations from our engagements with Black energy professionals and leaders on topics around racism in this country and more specifically energy organizations. We have compiled and categorized their insights to serve as a guide for you to implement change in your workplace. I'm Katie Maynard founder and CEO of Ally Energy. I'll now pass it off to fellow Ally staff member, Amy Deaton, who is the MC for this series. This is Race in the Workplace. I'm Amy Deaton, and this episode is titled Confronting the Denial, where we take a closer look at all of those buzzwords and phrases that exist in the dialogue around racism, white privilege, reverse racism, and all lives matter. Why is there still denial of racist practices, and how can we challenge this denial and have conversations to move forward? A good starting point for this discussion is given by Rodney, lead project manager at National Grid. He explains his definition of privilege and the many ways we can see it take form in our society. So privilege to me is when you don't have to think about anything. Right. And I can tell you, I'm sure there are times where I can probably sit with my white counterpart and talk through our lives and all the things that my white counterpart won't have to necessarily think about. So, for example, if I'm walking down the street, someone might cross the road when they see me coming with, you know, my white counterpart experience, have similar experiences like that. Question that. But um, that's just a personal example. There's so many studies that have been done. So, for example, one about resumes or CVs, that's what we call them in the UK, <laughs> you've got two candidates that are identical in terms of their qualifications, their CVs have, have been written the same way, the only difference is their name, right? And in this study, their CVs were sent out to the same organisations, and the CV that had a cultural name that was quite difficult to pronounce didn't get as many callbacks as the other sort of white Caucasian sounding name. So privilege does exist. It happens in so many different ways. So many systems. Um, it's happening here in the UK. For example, stop and search by police is, is a big thing here. Black males are, I think it was four times more likely to be stopped and searched in the UK than their white counterparts. There's just been some very shocking statistics that identify white privilege and we need to be mindful of them. We need to educate ourselves about them and do something about it as well. It's such a big topic, and, and I think sometimes people turn a blind eye to it. If you're not, just because you don't experience it yourself doesn't mean that others aren't subject to it. And it's happening in, in so many different ways. Rodney's insights clearly show the irony in the problem of acknowledging privilege. Because really, by his definition, privilege is not having to think about privilege. That goes to show just how important it is to start being observant of the experiences of people who are different from you. This takes us into our next topic, discussed with Gordy Bannister Jr., the former CEO of Era Energy and member of the Dow Board of Directors. He addresses the phrase, all lives matter, and how once you understand privilege in society, you will see why specifying that Black lives matter is critical. Anybody who knows me, know that 
I believe that every person counts. I'm a people-centric leader. I have been that way for a very, very long time. I believe I proved it when I ran it, when I was the CEO at Air Energy. And everywhere I've been, I've proved that. That doesn't mean that I don't believe at this moment in time that we need to be focused on Black employees and Black lives and Black people as it applies to the business environment and the social environment that exists today in America. I have an abundance mentality. I don't have a scarcity mentality. I'm not leaving other people behind. (laughs) I'm just making a conscious choice to focus in a place where I think is really, really important. Another example, our daughter, when she was in high school, tore her ACL a week before the Valley Championship game for basketball. And she was, a you know, she played a lot. She tore her ACL and it was really devastating for the whole family. At the time when she was hurting, it was really important for our family to comfort her. And so my wife comforted her, I did, and so did her brother, our son. We didn't say to our son, you don't matter, because we were focused on our daughter. But he knew we were all going to be focused on her because she had torn her ACL. And when people are hurting, you need to pay attention to them. And that's the situation we find ourselves in today with, with Black people in America. Black people are frustrated. They're tired. They're hurting. They've been hurting for centuries. And now it seems like we've reached a a tipping point where there can be really an honest conversation about all that. That doesn't mean we don't care about everybody else. Please, I I just beg people to please stop believing that this is some kind of trade-off. It's not. Powerful words from Gordy. In the same vein, Carolyn Green, a co-author of the Energy Within Us book and managing partner of Evergreen Capital Management, emphasizes that the act of amplifying oppressed voices is not a form of intolerance, but rather the exact opposite. I don't really have a problem with being accused of playing favorites, meaning being more accessible to women and people of color than I may be perceived to be toward white men. Because as far as I'm concerned, that's the only way I'm going to level the playing field. Equity means that you meet people where they are. And if someone needs more help than another, then it's my responsibility to give them that additional help and not worry about whether that's seen as, quote, reverse discrimination, whatever that means. I don't see my being an advocate for people of color and women, and women of color in particular, as being, quote, reverse discrimination. All speakers emphasize that at the core of the Black Lives Matter movement is a pursuit of equality. It's the mission to call attention to a history of prejudice and intolerance. Gordy explains how the precedents that have been set by this history have held back Black voices for too long. America has been in denial about it forever. That's why this is really, really hard. And you have a, you have a dominant subordinate group dynamic where there's a view that there's a shift in power that's occurring. And when there's a, with a view that there's a shift in power that's occurring, the dominant group doesn't want to let go of that power. Two points to add to that. 
our daughter lives in South Africa. We were there last year, had a chance to visit with her. We went to the Apartheid Museum in Johannesburg. On the way to the museum, we were in a taxi and I was talking to our taxi driver, who's black, talking to him about how he felt about apartheid on the way to the apartheid museum. And it was fascinating to hear him talk about the period of reconciliation that they had in South Africa that came on the heels of the ending of apartheid. And if you're not familiar with reconciliation, what it meant was that the government came forward and said, these are all the bad things we did. And in particular for him and his family, they were looking forward to hearing about some of their family members who had been missing. And unfortunately, they didn't reveal for them their family members who had been missing. So it was left a little bit unfulfilling. But the period of reconciliation and the period of government acknowledgement was really, really important to healing of that country. Now, they're only what, 25 years or so sort of past apartheid. It's not that long past. But the, but the view of the black people in the country while there's still racism there is a little different than it is for black people in America. Why? Because America has never really acknowledged its original sin of slavery. There was never this period of reconciliation in America. And so it's really, really hard to get corporations and people and everybody to kind of stand up and make that an acknowledgement more than just saying, I'm sorry, but stop saying, well, oh, by the way, that was my, my ancestors. So it doesn't matter. Well, you're doing racist stuff today. That remains part of the problem. And I think if we can get to the point where people are acknowledging it, which is what we're hearing now, that's why we've had all these protests in the street post what happened with George Floyd. That's part of the healing process. The other point about dominant and subordinate groups, in every aspect of society, there is a dominant and a subordinate group. At home, parents are dominant, the kids are subordinate. At church, what the pastor, the deacons, the usher board, those are people who are dominant and the parishioners are subordinate. In corporations, the board, CEO, senior management, you know, those people are dominant, uh, the rank and file are subordinate. So, the, I mean, every system in society has dominant and subordinate circumstances. The dominant group does things both consciously and unconsciously to keep itself in power. Think about it with respect to parents, right? I mean, you're doing things to keep yourself in power. There's a point in time when parents come to grips with the fact that their children are adults and they need to let go. Where if you're, you know, your kid goes out and gets a speeding ticket, they get to pay for it themselves. You don't, you don't have to chastise them for it. You don't have to say, okay, you know, stop doing that stuff. You just say, look, you got to pay for it. Where they have to own their, they have to, they're accountable for their own actions. This is the situation we are in now with respect to dominant and subordinate groups. You've got a dominant group in white males, and no disrespect, but you got a dominant group in white males who see themselves sort of quote unquote ceding some power, and they don't want to give that up. Some of it's conscious, some of it's unconscious to sort of stay in power. And that's the other dynamic that's really, really difficult to get past while we're trying to work on this systemic racism that occurs in America today. Thanks for listening to this episode of Race in the Workplace. For more in this series, tune in to the next episode and look out for other new content coming soon. This is The Voices of Energy.